We have been uh, together on a journey for the last month and will continue uh, up through Thanksgiving to Advent on the first letter that John writes, 1 John. And the beauty of 1 John, who has referred to himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved, is as he's inviting us into a fellowship, certainly um, with the saints, but with God himself. And uh, I would hope that all of you um, that are here pretty regularly would be reading through 1 John. It's very easy to read, even if you just read a chapter a week um, and stayed current with us. We finished chapter 1 and we're on chapter 2. But it is a beautiful uh, story of John's both experience with Jesus and the invitation to each and every one of us to enter into that fellowship. And one of the main thoughts that John shares with us right from the get-go in the first verses of chapter 1 is that we can have fellowship with God. I mean, if you just think about that for a moment, it's both intimidating, uh, beautiful. Um, We can have fellowship with God. That God isn't something just out there to objectify. While there is this objective truth that we embrace as John shares that this Jesus he's talking about was the Jesus he walked with and talked with and handled. It was a Jesus who was crucified and buried and rose from the dead. It is this experience that John had that he writes about to invite us to have that same experience, a subjective experience based on that objective truth. And he calls us to walk in the light because in the light we find the truth of Scripture. We also find the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And as we've begun this journey together, each chapter seems to invite us into this relationship and also begins to tell us that there are ways diagnostically, if I could use that word, there are tests that John gives us in regards to evaluating our lives. How are we doing in our fellowship with God? And John gives us three tests. He gives us the, the moral conscience test, that which is to be obedient to the word. He gives us, which we'll talk about this morning, the social relational test on how we love each other. And then later on, he's going to give us the doctrinal test. How do we understand and embrace this thing we call the gospel? Who is Jesus as the incarnate son of God? And so those three tests help us to come into that place of intimacy with God. It's not enough to have one and think we're right with one because often if we think we're orthodox and we don't really love one another, then our orthodoxy lacks what it is that John is telling us. So I want us to think about one of the words that John uses over and over again is the word to know. I'm going to read you just one of the sections, and John is going to say, we know that we know. And when he talks about that knowledge, he's saying that, again, the possibility of being intimate with God and knowing him intimately is the very motivation that moves us to live this Christian life. It's not just a set of rules to live by, 
but it's a relationship to enjoy and walk in. And it is that relationship that we enjoy and walk in that motivates us to live differently because we want to live like him. So let me read to you. First, I'm going to read just 1 through 11 of chapter 2. It'll go quickly, and then we'll focus in on 7 through 11. But it begins with, my dear children. And you know, I was reading that again, and I, I just want you to recognize the heart of, uh, of John here. He's, others have translated beloved or my dear children, not just children, not just dear children, but John has this pastoral sense about him. I really love you guys and I want you to listen to this. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Immediately, John brings us to an understanding and I hope an acceptance of our sinfulness and the reality of why our acceptance of Christ and the beauty of why he came provides us with such things as forgiveness and acceptance and assurance that it becomes a freeing motivation to live our life differently. And it says in verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He and he alone. And, and that atoning sacrifice, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, we see Jesus as the word that is sometimes used, propitiation. He and the Father stand against the accuser, the devil, that were something less than the gift that God has provided for us through the sacrifice of Christ. Let me start verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him or to walk in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates her brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, and they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So John says, you know that you know. And probably in all of our lives, There are things that we think that we know that we discover that we don't know. I want to give you a little test, and I want you to think about the answers to these tests, okay? I'm going to ask you uh, six questions here, okay? And it'll, it'll give us a little insight to what John is saying. First question, how long did the Hundred Years' War last? You think about your answer. Yeah. Question two. Which country makes Panama hats? 
Question three. From which animal do we get cat gut? Question four. In which month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? Question five. What is a camel's hairbrush made of? Question six. How long did the Thirty Years' War last? Got your answers? Yeah. You all set? Sort of like putting your chest out how proud you are of what you got? Let's look, at, let's look at question number one. How long did the Hundred Years' War last? Well, the Hundred Years' War lasted 116 years, from, from 1337 to 1453. How many got that right? How many? Hi, right, Dave. We're going to talk to you now. Um, how many of you thought you had the answer right? How many of you just are afraid to raise your hand? <laughs> okay. Now we're getting honest here. All right. This one's easy, right? Which country makes Panama hats? Answer Ecuador, of course, is the country that makes Panama hats. All right. Number three, this is easy. From which animal do we get cat gut? Right. Cat gut comes from sheep and horses. Number four, in which month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? Well, it says the Russians celebrate the October Revolution in November because their calendar was different than ours. How many of you got one right so far? All right. You know, I, I knew I liked you. Okay. All right. Camel's hairbrush. I can tell. You didn't get that one right either. All right. How about the last one? How long did the 30 years war last? 30 years, of course. What's the matter with you? But isn't it interesting that we oftentimes think we know what we know? You know, it's sad when someone doesn't know that they don't know. It oftentimes places them in a position where they can come across arrogant. When you know that you don't know, you're teachable. Maybe you're a learner. Maybe you can go. When you don't know what you know, you need to be encouraged. But when we find someone who knows what they know, we oftentimes, if there's humility a part of that, we want to draw close and we want to learn and we want to be a part of that. And so John, in his epistle, uh, has been challenging us in three ways. And Ryan gave us a, um, a diagram, if we could put that diagram up for a moment. And uh, yeah, there you go. So you can see that the test of what we know is threefold. It's relational, it's moral, and it's doctrinal. And in order for us to really walk in the light, we need to pass those three tests. And in many ways, those tests are there for us to perform our own diagnostic. How are we doing when it comes to the moral test? 
How are we doing when it comes to the doctrinal test? How are we doing when it comes to the relational test? And John writes to challenge us over and over again in each one of those ways. And we saw in these first verses here in uh, 3 through 6, he's challenging us in this moral test. This test, he says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Because God is calling us to be obedient, obedient to the word, obedient to the will, obedient to the plan of God. And that obedience comes out of the motivation of knowing that our God, this gospel that we proclaim, and I hope that by the time we're done, you truly believe that this gospel is better than you ever thought. That this gospel, this Jesus who came to earth and embraced our humanity and all the ugliness of it, who was crucified, who was spit upon, who was ridiculed, who was beaten, who was nailed to a tree, and in that failure of humanity brought us our salvation. And when the writer John says in the Gospel of John, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it becomes so vital that we truly understand what that means because as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, because he understood it, he understood that the love of Christ would constrain and compel him to live a different life. And so it's not the rules that we are motivated to keep so that we can get God's love. It's God's love that motivates us to live like him so that the character of this loving God becomes like us. Amen. And so the beauty of what John is calling us to is he's calling us to this thing that we call biblically assurance, confidence. That John wants us to know that on the basis of this advocate Jesus, who with the Father says to our sin as he's died for it, says to the enemy, Satan, they are beautiful. They are accepted. The justice of God has been satisfied in the fact that sin has been taken care of through my death burial and resurrection. So no longer do I need to listen to the whispers of the devil who says, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not kind enough. I'm not holy enough. I get to live in what God says about me, and he says, I'm the cat's meow. On the basis of who he is and what he's done in our behalf. And because of that, I want to walk with him. Because of that, I want not only to be motivated by his love, but I want to know that the content of my obedience is his will and his word. And so I embrace that word. And so one of the ways that we can come to understand in relationship to this moral, this, this obedience test, how am I doing when it comes to the word of God? Am I spending any time in it? Am I meditating on it to experience what the psalmist says? Blessed is the man who meditates on God's word. Am, am I memorizing it? Am I engaging in it? Am I recognizing that the word of God is my spiritual food? It becomes a place for me in terms of its content to know how to obey the moral test. Well, the second thing he talks about is this relational test. And so when we think about this relational test, he's going to talk to us about the importance, and we'll call it the love test. So look what he says in verse 7. He says, 
my friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. Because this thing about loving each other wasn't new. It wasn't even necessarily only biblical. Lots of cultures and lots of religions, if you will, and lots of non-religious entities would say, treat each other well. Matter of fact, God gave this law back in the book of Leviticus, and uh, that law was to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God and to love your neighbor. So it's not a new command. But the reality of that command, though it was given thousands of years earlier, was met with failure on the basis of humanity. Because humanity didn't know how, people don't know how to really love one another. When we talk about how do we live the Christian life, it can be reduced simply to love God and to love your neighbor. And the reality of what John is challenging us, what John is asking us, evaluate your life on how you're loving. Because it's not only the command of loving God and loving your neighbor. Jesus even adds to it, right? He says, love your enemy. Now how are we doing? Love the person that disagrees with you. Love the person that's committed heartache. Love the person that slandered you. Love the person that's mistreated you or maybe cheated you or, or lied about you. Uh, love the person who created the split. Love one another. And the reason why John says this, he says, I'm, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. They would have heard it good Jews as they were, Leviticus 19.18, they would have heard it. But then he says this, yet I am writing you a new command. Wait a minute, John, you, this is a little bit bipolar here. Old command, new command, what, what are you talking about? And he says, its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. This concept of darkness and light is important for us to understand. Because when John in his gospel says that Jesus has appeared, that in him all of the fullness of God dwells, that in him is, he's full of grace and truth, that he was the light that came into the world, but the world received it not because it loved darkness. This concept of darkness is what many of the writers refer to when they refer to what the world is like without Christ as their light. Because the darkness is not only a realm, the darkness is the ruler of that realm. Uh, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 4 and then in verse 6, he'd say in verse 4 that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of people and they walk in darkness. But Christ has brought light to that darkness through this thing we call the gospel. God has called us to experience is a fellowship that is new. So you see, when he says this truth is seen in him, this is a new command, and not only have we seen the truth in him, but when we have received him into our life through the gospel, the spirit of God that illuminates the very words of God begins to be the light in us. And we're called to be salt and light. 
So this old command has become a new command because it's not just an objective command. It's not just a rule that we keep. It's the life that we live through the Spirit of God living in us. We're changed, and that's the fellowship that God, that John is writing about. And that's why we oftentimes will say, have you been born again? This test, if you will, this internal test of fellowship with God is the question that we ought to be asking ourselves. Have I experienced the presence of God in my life? And it might be different for all of us in different ways, but am I different today than I was when I first accepted Christ? If I've been a churchgoer for most of my life, am I growing in my relationship with Jesus? Am I growing in the truth that has been shared with me through the light? Am I growing in my moral understanding, my conscience? Because if I'm not growing, if I'm the same person I've always been while I've been going to church for years, then church to you, please forgive me, is nothing more than a social club. The reality of what John is calling us to and what will change the world is not how well we perform morally so that others can see us. It's how much the life of Christ in us works through us in the way that we really love one another. So this new thing is seen both in him and you. Would Ask your wife. Ask your husband. Am I different? Am I different at my job? Does Christ, little by little, it's not perfection, it's direction. As I walk with him, is my life changing? And if the answer is no, that's the test that John wants to put us to. So he says, and, and believe me, this, this kind of love is an interesting kind of love. Let me, let me read something to you that, that C.S. Lewis says, because I think it's important to sort of be captured by the reality of what he says here. He says to us that this love, and let me uh, find his quote here somewhere in the midst of all of this. Well, I gave it to you, but I didn't give it to me. So, um, so notice what he says, of all arguments against love, none makes so strong an appeal to my nature as careful. Do you hear what he's saying? Don't love too much. Don't love too hard. Don't give yourself away too often. Remember to be protective. He goes on to say, this might lead you to suffering. Don't take that. Don't love them. They might not love you back. You know, sometimes we might do that. Let me give you a, 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 a sort of an example close to home. There might be times when you invite someone to dinner and you, it's never reciprocated and you feel slighted, and you've loved for what reason? So he says, to my nature, my temperament, yes, not to my conscience. Next line. He says, when I respond to that appeal, I seem to myself to be a thousand miles away from Christ. When I'm not willing to demonstrate a love like Christ demonstrated in that he gave his life for us, 
But my love is more self-protective. My love is without risk. My love is conditional. My love is to see what I can get in return because I'm afraid of the suffering. When I respond to that appeal, I seem to be thousands of miles away from Christ. If I am sure of anything, I'm sure that his teaching was never meant to confirm my congenial preference for safe investments and limited liabilities. The love that God calls us to is a love that isn't safe. I remember when Lucy asked Aslan in the Chronicles, asked uh, uh, one of her characters, he said, no, he's not safe, but he's good. And so when we think about this thing that Lewis says, there is no safe investment, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round and with hobbies and little luxuries Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the cabinet or coffin of your selfishness. Think about it. We protect it by not taking any risks. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless and free, if you will, it'll change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. It will become impenetrable. It will become irredeemable. And the alternative to tragedy, or at least to the dark risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all of the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. So you see, when John challenges us, Are we loving one another? And might I suggest that we can be orthodox and not loving. We can have all the right doctrine, if you will, and not be loving. I remember Richard Wormbrandt, who has passed now, but was in a Romanian solitary confinement prison and in a hole in the ground for many years, three years. And he came to our school and he spoke, and he spoke a message about faith. And he said, it's not enough to believe, but why you believe really matters. And sometimes people will believe that they have right teaching and find themselves in a cult. Or sometimes people will believe because they like the intellectual, philosophical approach and people respect them for how smart they are. But they're not loving. See, we can have all those things right, right? We can, we can be precise and we can be very systematic and we can be very clear and, and like a snowflake and be a part of the chosen frozen. God is calling us to really love one another because the love that John talks about is the love that we see in him and the love that he's calling us to be like him is to be his kind of lover. And so it goes on to say here, I think he says in verse 8, 
I'm writing this command, it, it is truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates her brother or sister is still in the darkness. And, and let me define hate for you. Hate could be indifference. Hate can be ignoring something. You remember what Jesus said in the, in the Beatitude? He said, you know, you have heard it say, you've heard, thou shalt not murder. He said, but I say, if you hate your brother, you're already a murderer. But then he took it to another level. And he said, if you call him a fool, you're like a murderer. And so how many times do we in self-protection or in indifference or in ignoring find ourselves in relationships with people we don't agree with, but we don't love them? We don't demonstrate to them the love that is seen in him and supposedly in us. And when we live that way, we walk in darkness because our love is just as conditional as the world's. And when we think about some of the ways that we've demonstrated our relationships to people who've mistreated us, we've only ultimately found ourselves, what John says, walking in the darkness. And the unfortunate part is sometimes we like our darkness because in our darkness we feel we're right. But the test that John is giving us here is to be like Jesus. And Paul knew that truth. Do you remember when Paul said, and he said it in Romans 8 and, and verse 31, he said, if God be for us, who could be against us? And then he, he says down in verse 35, he says, I, I'm, I'm persuaded, not death, not life, not principalities, not powers. None of those things can separate us from the love of God. Paul knew all the things that would come at him. Paul knew the Pharisees who wanted to crucify him as well figuratively, but he loved. It is why Paul could say, the Holy Spirit in Romans 5.5 5 has shed broad, abroad in my heart the love of Christ. And when the Spirit of God is shedding love abroad in our heart, the Spirit of God who illuminates the Word of God begins to illuminate our life so that we live like the Son of God. And so the question again is, how are you doing? If we were to do the diagnostic test, do you love like Jesus loved? A mistake about it. When he came in love, his response was anything but love. The way that he was treated, the way that he engaged, and yet from the cross he said, Father, forgive them for they not, know not what they do. So, so John is saying that it's possible to have a relationship with Jesus and that it's also possible for us to have the kind of motivation that isn't rule-keeping because that is what the new commandment is all about. Because if you look at the old commandment what was given to the Israelites thousands of years before, how did it do in their life? It didn't do at all. So John now says, 
We're not talking about keeping the rules. We're talking about being in a relationship with the one who gave his life for you and loved you, though you did not love him in return. And in giving himself for you, has given you an opportunity not to just know him, but to live through him and in him so that you can be like him, loving the way that he loved. And so that love requires us not to necessarily be right. You can win the argument and lose the life. We've often maybe done that with our children. Maybe we've done that with people we care about. Maybe being right failed to recognize that they, while maybe even being wrong, were wrong in their insecurities, wrong in their fears, wrong in their misunderstandings, and what they needed was a safe place that we call love so they could begin to grow in an understanding that went way beyond the argument. So the question for all of us has got to be, as we think about these tests, is how are we living out our life? How are we not only recognizing that we have this new thing, but we recognize that Jesus, who said, Father, could you take this cup away from me? But for love's sake, I'll do what you're calling me to do. And ultimately, for love's sake, goes to the cross. For love's sake, willingly, succumbs himself and bows to the crucifixion and the abuse. And for love's sake, is resurrected from the dead. And Paul would say in Romans 8.11, the very same spirit that raised him from the dead wants to bring us into the light and live with us. So the prayer that we should be praying oftentimes is, oh God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you control me by your spirit? Would you teach me how to live from the inside out instead of from the outside in so the Spirit of God and the love of God has a way of transforming my life so that to see me is to see Jesus? That's what Paul means when he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when he goes on to say here, and it's, it's, it's a challenge to us, this new commandment, this way of uh, our living is our incentive is to live for him that is Jesus because of how he lived for us. And then in his death, he gives us life so that in his life, we might give ourselves away. So as he says, verse nine, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. How are we doing? I mean, it's really, I, I read these things and I, I feel uncomfortable at times. I know we're supposed to come to church and go away feeling really fuzzy and warm. But John is challenging us not just to love the people we agree with and not just to love the people who love us but to be the kind of supernatural love that causes the world to stand up and go, I want to be like that. Because that's why you came, I hope, that one day long ago you met this lover of your soul and nobody had ever loved you like that and you knew the guilt and the shame and the heartache of your sin And the devil was reminding you of it all the time. You were reminding yourself of it all the time. And one day you heard this beautiful thing called the gospel. And God said, I died for your sins. 
I've given you my life. You can have assurance, confidence. I love you. I see you in Christ. You're accepted because of what Christ has done, not because of what you do. You don't have to live like Mrs. Fidget if you were here last week. You can live free in Christ. The realm of darkness is something that you were saved out of. You know, Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so live as children of light. He says again in verse 11, chapter 5, Ephesians, have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. How are they exposed? By you walking in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? It means to love one another. Colossians 1.13 says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. So you can see that we're called to live in this new realm of loving and growing and igniting each other with this kind of love that causes us to want to be more like Jesus. And so as we think about the reality of that, does that love help you to move beyond the diversity, the differences? I, I saw a movie a long time ago called Remember the Titans. Have you ever seen that movie? There's a scene in the movie I want to just show you, and we'll close. And then we'll take communion. But the scene is, you know the story of the, uh, in the movie, is it, it's a time where segregation is beginning to diminish, and this high school comes together and is now uh, uh, a school of both black and white. And the first test is this football team. Uh, the African-American team had a, a good team, and the, the, uh, uh, the white kids had a good team, and now they're competing, sometimes for the same positions and their buddies, and they're trying to find their way, and they learn this lesson really well. Well, the two main characters, one white kid, great uh, uh, football player, and the other one, a black kid, great football player, and they were buttonheads all during the movie. White kid gets hit while he's in a car, and he's in the hospital. And uh, I want you to see the scene. You hear what John said? He said, the reason we don't love is because we're afraid. We're afraid of taking the risk. We're afraid of how it will be perceived. We're afraid of what others might think. So John says, when we're afraid, we're not loving. And when we're afraid... We're not walking in the light. So as we've been delivered from the realm of darkness, that's not to say that we don't slip, but we're in the light, we don't stumble, John says. And so, so far we're learning that there's a balance between this love and this truth. And we so desperately need both of them to be the people of God. Because I don't need to say it, I will, and you've heard it before, Jesus I love, it's just the church. Because when we don't love one another, we're not demonstrating what it means to walk in the light. And in the world in which we live, it is just filled with darkness. And we so desperately need to be light for our world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the communion table, we recognize that Lord, there's lots of forms of hatred. There's fear and indifference and ignorance. 
but you're calling us to take a risk, to give ourselves away, to love each other, even when we don't always understand. So God, as we come to this communion table, would we celebrate your love for us? Would we celebrate this good news that we are loved and Jesus loves us and demonstrated it by giving his life for us? And the satisfaction of God through the death of his son, death of the son on the cross, is a satisfaction of the love of God that brings us into relationship. So Father, this communion table where we're reminded once again of what you did for us for love's sake is a place of celebration. So I wonder if you would all get up, go to the communion tables, grab the bread and the wine and return to your seats so that we might have communion and celebrate the good news together.
one of the truths that we accept as John is putting that before us well maybe two truths first one we accept our sinfulness and the second truth is that God loves us anyway and so when we come to the table we come to the table to celebrate that truth that his body was broken for love's sake so take and eat blood was shed for love's sake. Take and drink. So Father, we pray with thanksgiving that we would love like you love. That we, as it was true of you in the risk that you took in your death for humanity, would too take a risk and love without defensiveness and that we would just care for one another make us the church that is known for the way that we love love each other love you and then let that love spill over and love the world we ask it in Christ's name Amen Amen.